Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitting, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Fanal Norton. Fanal is a second-year student in our Executive MBA class of 2024, and she and I recently connected to talk more about her background, how she decided to pursue an MBA, what led her to Darden, her experience here as a Darden Executive MBA student, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Fanal Norton. Fanal, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. How's everything going? How are you doing? I am doing really, really good. I can't believe that time has gone by so quickly. And so now I'm just sort of um, really just enjoying the moment. It is. It feels like it's been a long time, but at the same time, it feels like it's flown by. So I'm just really excited to be in the moment and then just as excited to be graduating. And quarter 9.2, you're in the second weekend residency of the next to last quarter. You've got Q10, then LR2, and then graduation. How does that feel? You know, it's, um, I would, I, I, I don't even know that I can describe the delight and the sense of accomplishment that I have inside because it feels just that good. It's sort of like um, a kid and you're going for ice cream. That's what it feels like. And as a connoisseur of ice cream, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Well, um, thank you again for coming on the podcast. I'll start just uh, with a question or two just to set the scene. So tell us tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you and what's your background? Sure. So, you know, I you always think a lot about who you are. But I am a, someone who worked in corporate America for more than 26 years. And uh, it, it, it was fabulous. I was having the conversation last night to tell someone, the company that I worked for, how much I enjoyed it and how much I got out of it and how forward thinking I thought that company was. And so after 26 years at that particular company, I went on to work for a consulting company for about a year and a half. And then I sort of retired from corporate America and I opened up a little side gig on my own, but I also went into politics and what I found is that the things that you do um, in, in business in terms of inspiring and motivating and leading people and getting them to aspire to do things that they didn't think were possible are the very same things that you do in politics. And, and not in politics for the reason of, you know, being really popular, but in politics for the reason of doing good and figuring out how you can help people. And that's what this MBA was about, was this notion that the smarter that you can get in terms of understanding who you are, how the world works, how to think better, then you have a better chance at making change, whether it's in your community or maybe even for MBAs in the world. Not an easy time to get into politics. Um, did that attract you to it? The fact that, you know, it's a difficult time in America, very polarized, lots of, you know, hardened opinions about things. So was that exciting to you? Challenging? I'm, I'm curious. So it was, uh, frankly, I never even thought about that. When I first started into politics, it was really about, it, it was a difficult time. But I just had this sense that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how divided you are, everyone deserves to have someone that represents them. And at the time when I got in, I didn't have an expectation of doing it, but I could not resolve talking about the importance of people being engaged and involved 
and everybody having someone to represent them without actually doing it. And so when when push came to shove, I decided that if nobody else was going to do it, that I was going to do it. And that's how I got involved. Just as simple as that. That's a that's a wonderful sentiment. The idea of, you know, everybody having someone who represents who represents them. So uh, how, at what point did you decide that an MBA was going to be the right next step for you? So I have to tell you, and it's, it's probably kind of um, cheeky, but I have always loved working with MBAs. When I was in corporate America, if there was any opportunity to work with an MBA, I grabbed that opportunity. I always wanted it for myself. I would say, okay, there must be a way for me to get to this while I'm working. And I would read books. I had the 10-day MBA, uh, what every MBA should know, um, the MBA oath. And it, it, it's just, it was a desire that I had that these people, they just had a little bit more. Uh, the way that they thought about things, they're thinking about organizations, they're thinking about people, their intellect. And I, and I wanted it. I wanted it for myself. And so for me, I think it was something that I always wanted uh, and I always saw it in other people. And when the opportunity presented itself for me to be able to have my own and to really sort of build up my own confidence in what my abilities were, I went for it. And how did DART and the executive MBA program get on your radar? So this is also very funny. So, um, I have a friend and we, they were vis we were visiting and her husband said, oh, we've got some great news for you. And my husband and I talked about it all the time. And when, and when she told me what she was doing and that she was coming to DART, I said, oh, I, I can't believe it. And I said, I, I, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm so jealous. Jealous is not good. But I said, I'm so jealous. And she said, well, you should try. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And so my husband and I talked about it after they left and we did the research and looked at it. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it because the courage that it takes to even apply and do it, no matter what the outcome is, is worth it. And so I did it. Here I am. All right. So here you are. Um, now you're in the deep into the second year of the program, but uh, at some point you were a brand new student and uh, coming back to school. Uh, that's always an adjustment for executive MBA students. Had been in school for a while, typically, and uh, all of a sudden you're taking this MBA curriculum. Sometimes you haven't had a chance to take these kinds of classes before. Case method is new. Um, what was that adjustment process like for you for now in, in the first year? Uh, terrifying. Uh uh, and nobody's going to want to hear that, but it was terrifying. Now, I will say that for all of us in class, I don't think that I was the only one who was terrified. I think that everyone was sort of terrified. And I think I can sort of think about those first sessions and I could sort of see everybody with this sense of nervousness. And what I would say is it's okay because I think nervousness is always good because it requires your best self to sort of work through it. But you can probably have a little less um, because the way that the professors uh, um, sort of uh, engage with the class, the way that the students engage with the class, the other executives, it, it is really life-changing. So I would say I'm okay that I was that nervous and terrified uh, because it causes you to bring your best self, but you can probably do just a wee bit less because people are going to embrace you. And that's a good thing. What was the root of that nervousness for you? Where, where was that coming from? Well, some of it, when you look around and you see that you're probably the oldest person in class, 
you, uh, that will bring you a, a great deal of nervousness. Uh, I think what happens is though, once you sort of get in class, you see that there are so many different, um, the diversity of the, of the students of, of our cohorts is just a powerful thing. And so at some point you start to see that age is, is not something that diminishes you uh, in this program. It is something that actually enhances you and the program. All right, so you get settled in at some point. When did you feel like you found your groove as an executive MBA student? Was there a point where you felt like, okay, kind of got a schedule that works for me. I feel more comfortable with the subject matter. Did that, did that happen for you? Yeah, yeah, it did. It, there, there were some subjects that I was never going to be good at. Uh, decision analysis, uh, some of those quant courses, uh, I, I will probably uh, break out in hives if someone told me that I had to take another one. But even at that, if I had a class that I didn't, you know, that it was really tough for me, I, I never walked out of class or into the class without feeling like I had learned something. Like I just was a bit better than I was before the class or after the class. So, so I think that even though you'll have courses that, that you may not be good, it just may not be your thing, you go into those classes knowing that you're going to come out better. And I, I don't have a single class that I did not come out better in terms of my thinking, in terms of how I think about problems and solving them, in terms of how I interact with other people. Um, I'm just better. And so, so even the classes that I hated, there's great value. So um, I want to ask a question here about the case method, because that's always a new learning experience. That's generally at least a new learning experience for our students. How do you explain the case method uh, to people who ask about it? What you're doing in class here at Darden? How do, you, how do you describe it to people? So I would tell you that those classes that I said I hated, like quant, um, those classes, the reason that I was able to feel like I walked out with so much more was because of the case method. So it wasn't like you had to come out and say, oh my goodness, you know, I can memorize all of these things that you, you know, that you would typically have in a class. But a case method, you're dealing with real subject matter. You're dealing with real companies. You're dealing with real challenges. And so you may have some trouble in terms of some of the uh, quantitative formulas and things like that. You are still going to walk away with an understanding about how you go about solving an issue. And, and I, I think that my success would probably be way different if it wasn't for the case method, because you walk away after every course, after every course, that you can actually look at that case and apply it to what you're gonna do if you're going into the office, if you're working in a company, if you're working on a project, you are able to make it applicable right away. I, I think the case method is fabulous. And I would, now that I know and understand it, I would never consider anything else. I know you've read hundreds of cases at this point, um, but is there a favorite discussion uh, or favorite case you read? Um, we've read so far or something that stands out uh, from your time here. Yeah, there there are so many, and I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna get the name of it wrong, but it was in our business ethics class, and it was the case uh, where the um, where the pharmaceutical company was having to make a decision about whether or not they were going to produce. Um, a medicine that would help, you know, hundreds of thousands of people uh, combat an illness that was in Africa. And so that case stuck with me because it was sort of heart wrenching because 
I, 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 I couldn't wait until the end to find out what the pharmaceutical company actually did. Was I going to be really disappointed with that company or was I really going to feel like, geez, it really is good in the world. And when that case was done, there really was good in the world because despite the fact that it was not going to be profitable for them and that it was going to be really difficult for them to execute, they made the decision based on their core values, based on their mission, that they would pursue that medication to help those hundreds of thousands of people. And so that just gave me this uplifting sense of corporations really do believe in their missions and their values and to do the right thing. You just have to find the one that you want to work for that have those values that align with you. Yeah, I was going to ask the tension in that case, because initially when you described it, I was like, who wouldn't want to help hundreds of thousands of people anywhere, you know? And uh, then you sort of add the additional color of like, oh, well, this won't be profitable for the company and uh, this is going to be difficult to execute and uh, maybe logistically, operationally, maybe it doesn't seem like a winner. And yet they still decided to press forward with it. I imagine the discussion was pretty interesting in class. The, dis the discussion was really interesting in class because we were asked to take both sides. Uh, you either go forward or you don't go forward. And there was a lot of dissension in the class because really when you think about, you know, whose theory are you going to believe? Are you going to believe that it should be about shareholders? Or are you going to believe that it's about stakeholders? Are you going to believe that it's all about profit? Or are you going to believe that there is something more in terms of you may not get to the profitability level because it is more about, you know, how are we going to present ourselves? How is this brand going to show up in the world? And, and there was a lot of tension about as a shareholder, is this the right decision for your for, for your shareholders? And, um, and and people believed in the class that they should not move forward because it was going to be such a drag on the company to be able to carry this out and that it wasn't going to be profitable. And frankly, even the government decided to not participate in that particular project. And so, but they moved forward because they believed and their employees too. And the employees believed in the vision and values of the company. And it really would have been, um, uh, it really would have been upsetting to, to all of those people had the company not stood up to what their values really were and made that decision to do it. It paid off for them later on, way later on, but it was the right decision for them. And I'm sure the right decision for anybody who's looking at this case, anyone who hears about the case understands that, um, that this company has the interests of its consumers uh, and and humanity first. Yeah, it's interesting to think about having to put yourself in the position of maybe the, the position that you would naturally be inclined to think about, but then also the opposing uh, position too, and to have to articulate an argument from both of these uh, vantage points. I know that's something that happens in, in the Darden classroom where people are asked to say, well, speak on behalf of this person, even though you may not necessarily uh, agree with what you're saying, you still have to do it. Um, in, in those times when you've been asked to do that, what what has been valuable about that exercise to you? So for, for me, in, in those exercises, it's always about um, data. You know, what what does the data really illustrate and show? Um, how do you describe the facts in a way that people can comprehend it? And then uh, put yourself uh, in, in the shoes of the, of the person that you are trying to emulate in terms of what side of this argument that you're going to take. And, and for me, I can do that. Um, it doesn't mean that the decision on either side is wrong. It just means that you are looking at 
what is going to be best for your shareholders, for your for for the for your for your stakeholders, and then you just weigh them. And at some point, if you're on the other side of it and you have to debate that side, you're going to make that decision on behalf of that. Yeah, to me, it feels like it's a really useful exercise uh, because it can sometimes be the case that we get really locked into how we think about something and to be asked to say, well, how would you look at it if you were this other person? You were having to make this argument. It's sort of um, Andy Wicks has said uh, to me on, on a few different occasions that uh, um, when he's led virtual mock classes, uh, he said, at the end of this class, you know, what would it have taken to change your mind? What piece of information would have persuaded you to think differently about this case um, than, than you did here? And we don't really think about changing our minds too often uh, these days. At least that's what it seems uh, like to me for now. And that's always been very powerful, at least um, when he shared that in those mock classes. You know, what I would say is um, that ethics class, it, of, of all the classes, that is the one that that sort of I, I went home with it every week. You know, every discussion I went home, and they just stayed with me, because you really um, start to question who you are, and if you are the person that you think you are based on the kinds of decisions um, that 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 companies have to make, what direction they're going to go, and what would I do, and and sometimes. It is just to your point. It's just not as easy as you think, and um, but I think it takes a great sense of self um, and awareness about who you are and how you present yourself to either bring people over to your side or to decide that even though there is something that 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 sort of rubs you wrong at the end of the day for preservation of the company and for the people who work at that company. You, you may make a decision that, that, that you could probably sleep better on the other side, but you know that you've done the right thing. And so I think this whole notion of where ethics applies in business, it is everywhere. It seeds through every single piece of an organization. And I, I hope from that class in business ethics that myself, along with all of my classmates, see themselves differently. If you don't walk out of business ethics feeling like, you learn something or there's some shifts that you need to make in your thinking, then you didn't get out of the class what you should have. So you're now in the second year of the program. The first year in the executive MBA program is core curriculum. The second year is electives. You have four quarters uh, of electives uh, in the program. Um, how, how has the second year been? I love my courses. I was so happy to get to pick the stuff that I wanted to pick. We talked earlier about politics and and you know where I am. I'm in the background, you know, trying to figure out how to move the thinking of people, how to engage people. So every single course that I've chosen as an elective has been to that vein to figure out how to make something better. Um, design thinking uh, was one of my favorite courses. Um, the, the courses on digital thinking, um, business ethics through literature, another one of my favorites because it's ethics, anything that involves ethics, I'm very excited about. Leadership coaching, I'm thrilled with that one. The whole notion for that is how to become a transformational leader. Uh, everybody wants to be a great leader, a great coach. What does it take to be a transformational leader where the things that you do and how you do them really will impact the people around you. Uh, how do you get people to change, you know, a, a society? Or, and it could be, you know, a small one based on where you are. 
but th that's what these electives have been for me. It has been all about improving my intellect so that I can move people in a direction where, where for goodness sake, we just think differently about humanity and how we impact it. Well, I wonder, are there things that you're looking forward to in the months ahead? Yeah, one more quarter and then another week uh, down in Charlottesville. Uh, what what do you have circled as, as you round out your dark experience? Well, I'm looking forward to the week in Charlottesville. I uh, was really fortunate to get into the How to Be a CEO uh, course, which was really wonderful. An opportunity to meet with so many different CEOs, um, uh, Amtrak, uh, Save the Children, um, Alec Company. It, it was just really amazing. And to have an opportunity to talk to them, hear what they think about their companies, their decisions that they made. Um, we also had the CEO from, from Sandler family. It was, it, was, it was amazing. And so, but spending the time in Charlottesville, I thought, oh goodness gracious, I really do wish we had spent more time in Charlottesville because it's pretty fantastic. The campus is fantastic. Um, the, the entire experience was just wonderful. And I sort of missed that from the first time that we were there for the week. So I'm really looking forward to going back uh, but, but I have to tell you, you know, I'm going to be really sad when this program is over. You know, I thought I'd just be like, oh, I'm just so glad this is over. But but no, I'm going to be really sad and I'm going to miss seeing everybody. And I and I do feel like, you know, we you, you always hear folks say, oh, make sure that you spend time getting to know people and going to all the activities. And I probably didn't do as much of that as I could have. And now that it's winding down, I'm thinking, oh, Lordy, I wish that I had spent more time doing some of this other stuff. So that would be my one piece of advice to folks is people are going to tell you to hang out and do stuff. And you're going to say, no, I don't need to do that. But you do. So spend as much time as you can with your um, with your cohort, with your learning team, because you're going to really miss those folks. So that class you were talking about, that was a January term class, mm -hmm. uh, CEO <laughs> leadership in the 21st century, I think, led by oh, Dean, yes, it was. Dean, Dean Beardsley uh, taught that class. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yes, that sounded great. Um, and as I understand it, there were full-time MBA students, part-time MBA students, and executive MBA students in that class. Yes, they did this for the first time, and it was a mix of all of us. What value that added was fantastic, because now you have this diverse group, and all of these different thoughts and ideas, um, you get to do a really, really messy, messy um, issue that's happening right around us. The class was bold. Uh, we, we did all kinds of things that no one wants to talk about. We did the whole um, Bud Light. We did um, the, the Harvard's um, um, uh, Professor Gay, Dr. Gay. We did any messy thing that you can think about in terms of what does a CEO has to deal with. We chose those topics and uh, presented those. And it was fantastic because you got to hear all the different thinking, full-time, part-time, executive MBAs. And I think that, I know that I did, got lots of value from hearing from the full-time, lots of value from hearing from the part-time because everybody's in different places. And so to hear their thinking about how they would resolve these issues was, was really, really good. Because, you know, I, as I said, I'm older, so I'm, I'm eager to hear what other thinking is and what, what might I be missing. And so it was fantastic. It was, it was one of the highlights for me. Well, I wonder what 
What has the impact of your Dart experience been for you so far? Uh, I know it's a big question, maybe hard to answer, but something to jump out to you and think about that question. Well, you know, um, we have the the um, uh, the trip to Argentina, so we all get these global opportunities, and so now I wish I had done more than one uh, because it was so eye opening for me. I traveled for fam for family and for vacations, but never for the opportunity to be uh, in another country to learn, to really be there to soak up and learn about the economy, to learn about the culture, to learn about you know what's different uh, there, to, to learn about the political environment. And so, and, and to have it be very, very targeted, you know, for that subject matter, for, for those issues. And so that is a highlight. And it just makes you think about what we have here, but also what the implications are. And then it was also really interesting to me to think about that even for someone who might not have had that opportunity, there's so many resources still available to you to think about how you might be a global leader, even in your own community by taking ideas and understanding them and how they apply. Uh, so the global opportunity was really big for me and was, um, I think, a standout in terms of my experience here at Darden. Yeah, so your global residency in Argentina, do you have a favorite company you visited or experience you had on that global residency? So uh, let's see, I'm, I'm not going to be able to think of any, oh yeah, I'm not going to be able to think of it, but it was, um, we went to a winery and it was a family owned winery. And um, the, the, the mom actually started that business. She's the first woman in Argentina to own a winery and to have her own business. Her daughter actually also is in the family. And we had the opportunity to have her come and talk to us about that business, how she started, what her mom had done. And it was fantastic. We had a chance to visit, uh, to tour the winery. Um, it was fantastic. She's got many, many awards. But to be a woman uh, in Argentina and to start that business and to be successful at it, she has a restaurant. She started a hotel. And for me, one of the things that stood out for me that probably most people didn't care about or think about was in the restaurant, the attentiveness of the staff, the level of professionalism of the staff, which says that those employees were really engaged in terms of understanding what their impact is to that business. And I often think about, you know, here, when you go into certain restaurants, that people don't have the level of engagement or commitment to the work. And so that staff, just to me, because I care about customer service so much, it's really big and important to me. What it illustrated was that that company has spent a lot of time uh, in developing that team and engaging that team and helping them understand that they were part of that company. They were part of that brand and how they presented themselves would all be the way that someone interpreted that company. And I just walked away thinking that is pretty incredible. And how do we get that kind of sentiment in terms of employees giving that discretionary effort to the work that they do every day, no matter what level of, um, no matter what level you are in a company. Yeah, that global residency in Argentina uh, typically spend time in Buenos Aires and uh, Mendoza. So that winery visit, I think, was when you were in Mendoza. So pretty typical for a global residency to spend time in two locations, so about half the week in one city or country, half the week 
in another city or country. So um, that Argentina trip has been uh, it's been popular um, for the past couple of classes, and it certainly sounds um, like a like a great place to visit. So um, and it's a very full week. You're visiting businesses. You have a few cultural activities. You have some time on your own uh, during the evenings to explore. Um, but yes, a great, great opportunity to, to travel and, and be in a new place with your classmates and have that shared yeah. experience. I was with my classmates and my husband and my niece tagged along too. So that was was really fantastic. And I would and I would also say you're right to be able to do Mendoza and Buenos Aires was really unique. We were busy. I mean, we we put in the time and uh, but it was worth uh, every minute. Well, for now, last question for you. Uh, what's a what's a piece of advice you would share with our prospective students? Something you would encourage them to consider as they go forth on their own MBA journeys? So I think um, I think my one piece of advice would be what an opportunity. So don't squander a single moment. Um, it, the, the experience of the learning, if you want to be a lifelong learner, then take every opportunity. I, I, I would say, I guess I, to put it more succinctly, take something away from every single class, whether you love it or hate it. Go in with an opportunity that no matter what, you're going to walk out better than you did when you came in. That's what I would say. I love that. Uh, that is one of the great truths of Darden. Uh, maybe anything in life, but it feels particularly true here and learning through the case method and, you know, just the showing up prepared for class and ready to contribute. The more you put in, the more you're going to get out of it. So, but now thank you so much for your time on this residency weekend. Carve out um, some time, a few minutes here for the podcast. So thrilled for you and your classmates. Almost almost at the end of the program. Feels like y'all just started an executive MBA class of 2024. It does feel like we just started, but um I'm going to be sad, but boy, am I going to feel so much more prepared as I head out on my next adventure. And that was my interview with Finale Norton, a second year student in our Executive MBA class of 2024. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.